Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. Please follow along in your Bibles or in the screen above. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled, as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of the hip, Jacob's hip, was touched near the tendon. This is the word of God. Um, we were supposed to actually do communion today, uh, but I figured I don't want to get everybody sick in the church, so uh, we postponed it to, to next week. Hopefully, I'll be uh, better by then. Uh, before I get started, I actually uh, want to um, just um, highlight somebody in our church. Uh, his name is Paul. Uh, he's the guy who plays the viola up here every Sunday. Uh, you know, I've, um, I've seen violinists and violists and stuff like that do worship stuff, and it's never really very good. Um, but Paul, he really opened my eyes. And there are some times when um, just he would play one note, and I could just sit in that note like the whole day. It's just, it's just so great. And unfortunately, he is—he's uh, leaving us to move to Boston, I believe, right? To uh, to work uh, and also to pursue his musical career. So this is actually going to be his last Sunday. Uh, it's a tragedy for me. I go home and weep. Uh, but really, if you can just say thank you to him, uh, you know, at the end of service or during fellowship, uh, that would be amazing. He's been such a blessing to us. Thank you, Paul, for that. Let's give him a round of applause. Uh, also, just one correction. The Spotify playlist, I don't know if it was corrected up there, but that was the old name. Uh, the new name is NMPC Worship. So if you guys want to find the current one that's being updated, uh, search NMPC Worship, and you should be able to find it on Spotify. Okay, so today we are starting a new series titled Profiles of Faith. You see the wonderful banner up there. Thank you, uh, media team, for making that. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty simple series. Uh, basically, we're just going to look at different characters in the Bible, uh, and for each character, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a specific event in their life, and we're going to investigate uh, what that person and that event can teach us about faith. Okay, we're essentially building a, a profile of that person's faith, and uh, we're going to try to try to learn from it. Uh, you know, our theme for this year is faith forward. 
Uh, this year, we, we really want to focus on, on trying to grow in faith, and, and we're hoping that this series will help us do uh, exactly that. Today and next week, uh, we're going to start by looking at the person, Jacob. Okay? I, actually, um, I actually have to break the sermon up into two parts because as I was writing the sermon, I realized it was going to take me the whole sermon to talk about just one point or the first point. So to spare you unnecessary suffering, I took my wife's advice and I split it up. Okay, uh, So the passage for today is a, is a very famous one. Uh, a lot of you have probably heard of it, uh, maybe from Sunday school, or you might have uh, just stumbled upon it in the general culture. Uh, it's a story where God wrestles with Jacob, right? Uh, and there's a reason why I say it that way. You know, see, usually people refer, refer to the story as uh, the story where Jacob wrestles with God. But if you look at the story, and I looked at multiple translations of this, God is actually the one who engages Jacob in the wrestling match, not the other way around. Okay, and this is important because it tells us something significant about the nature of our God. And that is, our God is a God who engages. Our God is a God who initiates. Now, as simple, as, as simple and as, as mundane as that might sound, it's actually a powerful truth that if you really grasp it, can have a profound impact uh, on your faith. So a lot of people nowadays, uh, whether they realize it or not, a lot of people today are what we call deists, right? Now, what are deists? Deists are people who believe in God, but they don't believe God is a personal God. Instead, they believe that God is more like an impersonal force or an impersonal supreme being. And at the beginning, what this God did was he did get the universe, universe started, but after he got it started, he just kind of left it alone to unfold however it would. And he just wound up the universe, released it, and then uh, walked away. Should I move back a little bit? Is that, is that why we're ringing? Okay. Uh, so he just wound up the universe, he released it, and then he, he, he walked away. So essentially, uh, the God of the deists is a God who does not interact with our world, okay, let alone with us. Now, if this is the kind of God that you believe in, which is the case for, for a lot of modern people and even some Christians, then you simply do not believe in a God that will engage you at any level. Okay? And so for all intents and purposes, God is irrelevant to your life. I mean, you believe in God because it fills the universe with a sense of order, which gives you a basis for ethics and, and, and other things in life. But beyond that, there is no God interacting with anything in your day-to-day -day life. So the idea of a personal God engaging with you on a personal level, it's not something that you expect from this God. The problem for a lot of Christians is that they've allowed this view of God to color, and I would even say to distort, their understanding of the biblical God. You know, when I talk to Christians, I talk to a lot of Christians because that's what I do, right? I hear echoes of deism all the time. For example, many of us, when we, when, when we think about ourselves in a relation to God, right, we actually think of that relation in spatial terms, right? See, a lot of us, when we, what we do is we think of God as out there, Right? Outside of space and time, far removed from our reality. And so we think there's literally this physical distance separating us and God. And that cosmic distance in our minds translates into God feeling far away. 
okay, which registers emotionally to us as a sense of separation and a lack of intimacy and concern. Okay, that's a deistic view of God, and it's a view that has crept into our thinking as Christians. There are Christians who really feel that God is cosmically distant from us and therefore emotionally checked out. Along a similar vein, there are other Christians who believe that because God is so great, right, so majestic and so far removed, there's absolutely no way that he would be interested in getting involved in the affairs of a tiny little peon like me. Okay? That's also a deistic distortion. And then there are some Christians who, for various reasons, believe that God has simply stopped engaging us in the manner that we see in the Bible, which leads them to some deistic-like conclusions. Now, most Christians in this room will say, no, that's not me. I, I still believe God interacts personally with us today. I believe God is near. But do you really? I mean, we might believe this theoretically, but I think it's a different story when it comes to practice. I'm willing to bet that for most of us in this room, as much as we say that we believe in a personal God, our view is a lot more deist than we'd like to admit. You know, often we pray, right? And how does God feel to you? Right? He feels unreachable. He feels far removed, unconcerned, right? Or sometimes as we go through life, there are times when God feels how to us? He feels absent. And distant. You know, this might actually be before your time, uh, but in 1990, uh, Bette Midler, you guys know Bette Midler? Right? Bette Midler, okay? She released a song titled From a Distance, right? That was the name of the song. Uh, and the chorus of that song goes like this God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance, right? You guys, you guys know that, right? I hated that song. Okay, and I still hate that song. But it was a popular song back in the day. And as much as we might not, might not like it, it's actually how a lot of us feel about God. It always feels like we're the ones initiating and making the effort to reach out and to pray to a God who for a lot of us just seems distant and uninterested. What we see in today's text is that our God is not even remotely like that. He's not even remotely like the God of the deists. See, Jacob, in today's text, doesn't reach out to God. No. What happens is God reaches out to Jacob. Jacob isn't the one who first engages. God is. Okay, God, in today's story, doesn't function at a distance here. No, he, in, he literally invades Jacob's time and space and tackles him. He literally tackles him to the ground. This is about as far from deism as you can possibly get. Our God being uninterested and distant? Not even close. And this is not some kind of anomaly. You know, I know it seems weird because God is literally wrestling with Jacob, and we'll explore that in the next sermon. Uh, but God does this kind of thing all the time. To Moses, he reveals himself in a burning bush. To Elijah, he reveals himself in a whisper. And in Jesus, we literally see God himself as a human being. Now, whatever the reasons for why God chooses to appear as he does, and he probably has good reasons for manifesting in different ways to different people, the point we cannot miss is this. 
Our God is a God who draws near. Our God is a God who is interested and wants to get involved, and he initiates that involvement. All throughout the Bible, God engages with people, right? Calling them, blessing them, saving them, teaching them, correcting them. He's constantly reaching out and drawing near to people throughout the entire Bible, from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And brothers and sisters, God doesn't just draw near to a select few. You know, I think the temptation when we read the Bible uh, and we see how God interacts so intimately with the people in the stories, I think the temptation is we think that it must be because they're special and we're not. God only selects a few special people to reveal himself to. But here's the thing, okay? We have to remember, okay, what we have to remember is that in the Bible, we're only being exposed to a tiny slice of God's interaction with humanity. There are a universe of people who God has interacted with that that we simply don't see. For example, if you look in the Gospel of Mark, right, we find a list of names of the 12 disciples. Let me read that passage to you. Mark 3, if we can throw that first slide up there. It says this, These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, so Jesus had a sense of humor, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You know, many of the names uh, on that list, right, on this list, we actually have extremely little information on them. In fact, for some of them, we have no information at all. Okay, their stories are completely lost to us. And these are the 12 disciples of Jesus, arguably some of the most important people in setting the foundation of the church, yet we have no record of their lives. Does that mean they're not important to God? That God didn't reveal himself to them? No, I can promise you that they had intimate interactions with God, but we just don't have the record of them all. Okay? But there is someone who hasn't forgotten their stories. James Edwards, he comments on this. Next slide. Um, he says, their names stand, he's talking about this list, their names stand as silent witnesses to, to the truth that the existence of the, of the church is indebted to the labors of those who, for the most part, remain unacknowledged, unnamed, or unknown. But not in the heart of God. He remembers them, right? Just because your story is not in the Bible doesn't mean your story doesn't matter. Okay, the Bible, you have to remember this, okay? The Bible is not an exhaustive collection of God's interactions with people. It's just a sampling, In fact, what you find in the Bible is a sample of the type of people that God gets intimately involved with. It's a representative sample. And when you look at the representative sample, what kind of people do you find? Yes, you find kings and princesses and prophets. But you also find Gentiles and Samaritans who were very much ostracized in the Jewish society. You also find demonically oppressed people. You find prostitutes. You find men and women. Adulterers, tax collectors, ordinary people, the poor, the middle class, the wealthy. You find fishermen, uneducated people. You find scholars as well, traitors, swindlers like Jacob in today's story and so on. Who are these people? Well, people like you and me. Okay, and what do we see in the Bible? We see God engages 
with all of these people in powerful and intimate ways. Let me ask you a question, right? Why did the witnesses of Jesus write the Gospels? Why did they write the Gospels? Why did they write things like, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, and that he doesn't want anyone to perish but that everyone to come to repentance, which you find in Second Peter. Notice the words that, were, that, that are used in the two scriptures that I just quoted. For God so loved the world, whoever believes in him, he doesn't want anyone to perish, he wants everyone to come to repentance, you, see, you hear those words? I can promise you that every single person in this room falls under the umbrella of those words. God's intimate engagement is for every single one of you in this room. That's what the Bible is trying to tell you. The witnesses who wrote the Gospels and the letters in the Bible wrote those accounts because they want, they want to let you know that just as God engaged the people that you find in the accounts that they write about, so God wants to engage you. The writer of the Gospel of John writes at the end of his Gospel, he says, this account was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life in his name. These words in the Bible were written for you to tell you that God is for you and wants to engage you. Okay, and that he's in fact engaging you already. Again, the Bible, like, a lot of people are like, oh, there's all these miracles, all these crazy stories happening in the Bible. You know, when I talk to people, I've talked to people, Christians all over the world, when I read accounts from uh, very reliable sources like Craig Keener and, and Dallas Willard and all these guys, when you take all the unfabricated accounts, you, you will have a book far bigger than the Bible in terms of how God has interacted with people. So you're part of that story. Now, for those of you who still find it hard to believe that the great and almighty God would be interested in you and would want to get involved in your life, let me share with you some wise words from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard uh, was the uh, longtime former professor of philosophy at the uh, uh, Southern University of Southern California, a very respected man. This is what he says. Next slide. He says, his greatness is precisely what allows him to plan his day around me or anyone and everyone else as he chooses. His greatness is what allows that. That's really good theology. You know, to, your life, uh, to you, right, your life might seem insignificant, okay, and not worth the attention of the great and almighty God. I think some of you struggle with the other problem, but that's another sermon, right? A lot of us in here, you know, we're like, I'm, I'm insignificant, you know, why would he pay attention to me? He's so great and almighty. But here's the thing. His greatness is exactly what enables him to give you that attention, See, when we think of greatness, especially when it comes to God, we, we, we can't think with our typical human categories. You know, when we think of greatness, what do we think of? We think of famous people, right? We think of powerful people. We think of presidents and actors. And when you think about people like that, what do we think? We think because they're so great, because they're so influential, because they're so famous, we feel we cannot get to know them. And we feel they don't want to get to know us. We associate their greatness with distance. But see, for God, his greatness is precisely what enables him to draw near. The greatest manifestation of God's power in the world was Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God, the infinite God bottled up in a human person. And what is the incarnation? 
The incarnation is God drawing near, using his power to draw near. Matthew 1.23 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when it says God with us, I know you guys read that and you're like, oh, it must be in some kind of general sense, right? When it says God with us, it doesn't mean in some general sense. See, the greatness of God is what enables God to be with each of us individually. Look in the Bible, right? God over and over and over is engaging people one-on-one. He's not taxed by giving each of us individual attention. That's part of the greatness and the power of God. You know, so as a pastor, I'm required to counsel people, right? If I counsel, uh, uh, if I counsel one person or maybe a married couple uh, during the week, I'm spent for that whole week. Like, I can't talk to anybody. It's, it, I'm, like, dysfunctional, right? But thankfully, God is categorically unlike me, okay? He does not tire, and his presence can be with everyone without compromising or diluting intimacy, In fact, after Jesus ascends, right, after the resurrection, he ascends, God draws even nearer than simply being with us. He is in us. In the book of Acts, after Jesus ascends, Peter says this to a crowd. If we can throw the next slide up there. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. You thought God tackling Jacob in a wrestling match was surprising? What about God actually dwelling inside of us through the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, This is the nature of our God. He initiates, he engages with everyone. And for those who who believe in him, he enters into them. You know, in the book of Acts, there's a place where Paul is um, debating with some philosophers and thinkers uh, who weren't Christian. He was in Athens. Uh, And at one point, after explaining what God is like and what he did, Paul actually says this. We can throw the next slide up there. He said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out, to, reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. No matter who you are, no matter if you believe or not, God is not far from you. Okay, And if you allow him, he will draw even closer. You know, There's a place in 2 Kings in Old Testament. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's a place in 2 Kings in the Old Testament where the prophet Elisha and his servant, they're completely surrounded by the Aramean army. Okay? They, they were the enemies of Israel at the time. Okay? And uh, Elisha's servant sees this army and he's freaking out. He's like, we're screwed. We might as well just kill ourselves. Right? He's freaking out. Uh, well, at that moment, to Elisha's servant, right, to, to Elisha's servant, God seemed what? God seemed completely absent and very far away. But Elisha the prophet says to him, Don't worry. God is nearer than you think. And here's a passage from 2 Kings that talks about this. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around 
Elisha. Brothers and sisters, the reality is this. You need to get this, okay? God is nearer than you think. Now, many of us have trouble believing this, okay? Because the stories in the Bible seem so far removed from our experience. But what you have to remember is what happened in the Bible happened to real people. Okay, this is not a mythological text like you find in many of the other world religions. No, it's a historical record of real people's interactions with the real God. Dallas Willard teaches that we have to get it through our heads that this stuff is real. Then, when we get it through our heads that this stuff is real, as we open our eyes to see God working in real lives in the biblical accounts, our faith is then strengthened to be able to see more of God's nearness and movement in our lives and in the lives of those around, around us. Hey, if it's possible for them in the Bible, it's possible for me. You know, God does, in fact, regularly interact and engage with us today, just like in biblical times. You know, I've, seen, I've personally seen God work directly in my life in ways that have been very powerful and very clear. God has also worked in the life of my family and friends and colleagues through answered prayers, through things like a brain tumor disappearing that was scanned before they saw it, it was symptomatic, then they prayed like crazy, and then right before the surgery, they scanned it again, and it was gone, and the doctor's like, what happened? Healings corroborated by medical documentation. My friend, uh, Pastor Eugene, he's a pastor at uh, Church Gathered and Scattered, CGS, right? Interesting name. Um, Oh, okay, hopefully he doesn't hear that recording. Uh, he was sharing when he was doing missions when he was a little bit younger, but he was still an adult. He got a really bad burn on his hand because he was cooking, preparing uh, food uh, for missions, and it was pretty, really bad. It was like a second-degree burn, and he couldn't move it. It was just, it was terrible. So one of the missionaries prayed for him, uh, and Eugene was like, oh, thank you. And then the next day, uh, well, he went to sleep, and the next day he woke up, and it was gone. Completely gone. That doesn't happen to burns. You guys, you've ever been burned? It takes like forever. But it was gone. Okay? Also, you know, I, I have trustworthy accounts of people who, who've seen bodies levitating and being thrown across rooms in exorcisms. Now, I don't think God is the one throwing the body across the room. But I think God's power is encountering the demons, trying to get them out. I also have accounts of people hearing God's, God's voice audibly. And having what they hear come to pass in their lives. Okay, or I have accounts, and I've shared one with you, where somebody is speaking in one language, say Korean, or actually English, and the other person understands what this person is saying in Korean. And a third party is listening, and hears this person speaking in Korean, but the guy's like, no, I'm speaking in English. Like, crazy stuff like that. Multiple times I've heard accounts like that. People actually seeing angels in Christ and so on. Here's Dallas Willard. You can throw the next slide up there. If we are really to understand the Bible record, we must enter into our study of it on the assumption that the experiences recorded there are basically of the same type as ours would have been if we had been there. Okay, Those who lived through those experiences felt very much as we would have if we had been in their place. Unless this comes home to us, the things that happen to the people in the Bible will remain unreal to us. Okay, What we have to understand is that as that the stories in the Bible are actually our stories. I just shared with you a whole bunch of accounts that sound exactly like biblical accounts that are modern day. 
Okay? The writers wrote those biblical accounts to show us this is what is possible in your life. This is our story. We're writing about it. And we write about it because God told us that it can be your story as well. So back in uh, year 2000, uh, I hear Jimmy Fallon's voice when, when I say that. Was it Jimmy Fallon or Conan? I don't know. I, I get all this late. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I'm tired. I need to go to sleep. Um, so around the year 2000, I was doing youth ministry at a church in western New Jersey. Uh, I remember visiting a family because uh, their daughter was, was in my youth group. Uh, and after dinner, you know, we were sitting around in the living room, and I was just admiring their projector, uh, projector TV. It was this 100-inch projection TV. Uh, and we were just exchanging small talk. I wasn't listening because I was just consumed about the TV. Uh, but then at one point, the father starts sharing with me about how he became a Christian. And immediately, you know, my attention was piqued. Uh, well, when he was a young adult, he was sharing this with me. Uh, he said he shared that he had been dabbling in Buddhism and Confucianism and Christianity. Uh, and I believe, if I remember correctly, that he decided against Christianity at one point. Right? Well, then, uh, after he was kind of going through this, his father died. Right? Uh, and and uh, this guy was sharing with me that he was just completely devastated by, by that. And so what he did was he locked himself in his room and he was just crying his eyes out all day. Okay? Uh, and then he shares with me that at one point, this is a completely sane guy, he's not crazy. Okay? He shares with me at one point, he heard an audible voice, and it was crystal clear, calling out his name in Korean. Okay, now, I forgot the rest of the details of the story. I wasn't able to track him down, but I have a pretty good memory. Okay? He realized that at one point that this was God calling his name. Okay? And at that point, he said that he rep- repented then and there how wrong that he had been about God, and he became a Christian. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because in many people's eyes, okay, uh, it, this guy right, was a nobody. To the church that he attended, nobody knew this guy. I, I, I never noticed him at church. He's completely unassuming, very quiet, absolutely nothing remarkable about him. Yet God engaged him. Now, I know in this sermon, I've used a pretty dramatic examples of how, how God has engaged people. But from what I can tell, right, in the Bible, and from the most mature Christians I know in my life, the dramatic is actually not God's preferred method in communicating with us. Okay, Dallas Willard writes this. Next slide. As Bible history proceeds onward from Moses, we notice that in the process of divine communication, the greater the maturity of the listener, the greater the clarity of the message, and the lesser the role played by dreams, visions, and other strange phenomena in altered states. Visions, dreams, and angels uh, continue to play some part, uh, but, but it would not be too much to say, however, that, there, uh, that where these phenomena are the main, as opposed to occasional means of interaction, it indicates a less developed spiritual life, both in the individual and in the church group. So uh, when Peyton and uh, Brandon were really young, I don't even remember, it was just so long ago, right? When they were really young, I had to do some pretty dramatic and really silly things to get their attention, Right, or to get them to understand. There's this video I posted uh, on Facebook from back in 2009, and in this video I'm showing Peyton uh, a SpongeBob doll that I bought her. And in this video she comes into view, and then I'm like, who's this? Right? Uh, and she's like, Frapaf! That's how she said SpongeBob. Uh, and I'm like, do you like him? Uh, with crazy eyes, right? And she was silent. 
what you don't see in the video is that this SpongeBob, if, if you squeeze them in the right places, it would say something in SpongeBob's voice. And that, you know, is delightful for kids. Look, yes, there is a certain simplicity about children. You can literally give them a rock and a cardboard box, and they'll entertain, entertain themselves for hours. But there are also times, if you're a parent, where you really have to do some crazy things to get their attention for them to listen. Okay? You have to get them a SpongeBob that talks. You know, sometimes God has to resort to dramatic engagement because we're just not mature enough or attuned enough to pay attention to him. Just like some kids need dolls that have bells and whistles and flashing lights to grab their attention, God has to do the same in our lives at times. You know, nowadays, I much prefer just to talk with my kids. I mean, once in a while, I'll do a crazy thing, and my kids are like, what's wrong with you? Right? Now, I don't think we should say to God, what's wrong with you, if he does something dramatic to get your attention. But I do believe God wants to get to a place where he can engage you without all the drama, just like talking to a friend. If he has to tackle you to the ground every time to get your attention, then you're not being much of a friend to him. You know, when Rala yells my name to get my attention, that means I haven't been listening. Think about the example where Elisha, again, the example I used before, where Elisha prays for his servant so that the servant could see the army of angels, right? Notice, Elisha already knew those armies were there. How did he know? Because he was attuned to God. He knew God so well that their communication had matured. And, this, and in this instance, Elisha didn't need those bells and whistles. He already knew. But the servant didn't know. And so he needed those bells and whistles. E. Stanley Jones, he's a Christian theologian and missionary. He firmly believes that God interacts with people. Uh, and he practiced hearing God's voice throughout his life. But this is what he writes. If you throw the next slide up there. He says this. This is a person who constantly would talk with God and hears God and all this stuff. Jesus went off into no visions, no dreams. If you think about it, did Jesus see any visions? No. Okay? He got his guidance through prayer as you and I do. I do not say that God may not guide through a vision or a dream. But if he does, it will be very seldom. And it will be because he cannot get hold of, your normal, of our normal processes to guide them. For God is found most clearly and beneficially in the normal rather than the abnormal. And Jesus is the normal. He is the norm. You have to remember, this reality around this, this normal reality around this, God created this reality. All of this is actually supernatural. He created this with his supernatural power. But he created this reality because it's through this reality that he often engages with us. Through nature, through just your thinking and your conscience, through people, through reading, through prayer. Prayer, in fact, is the main vehicle through which God says that he interacts with us and we are to interact with him. It's actually fascinating because often it's the people who require the least dramatic communication from God, right? the people who are the most tuned in to God's voice, that end up being able to do the most dramatic things for him. See, I'm not saying dramatic things don't happen in mature believers' lives. I'm not saying that. A lot of very mature believers that I see, they see and do crazy things through their faith. Real mature faith results in powerful manifestation, manifestations of God in a broken world. Okay, I'm not talking about what God can do through maturing believers. I'm talking about how God communicates and engages with them. 
Look, God can look. God can engage us however He wants, whenever He wants. You know, I think Dallas Willard and Jones they, they might be taking it a tad bit too far because in the Book of Acts it says, "Old men will dream dreams, young men will dream visions." That will probably be a little bit more pervasive even among the mature, which is what I think the sense of that text is about. But overall, the point I believe that that Dallas Willard and Jones are making is generally true and very important. Okay, one thing about relationships is that as we get to know the other person well, right, as you mature in a relationship with someone, even just a simple look or a simple word can communicate so much more than the more dramatic communications early on. This maturing, less dramatic engagement indicates more intimacy, not less. Now, I remember in college, I was talking to this one guy who's literally the most spiritual guy on campus, without exaggeration. One day, me and my friend, me and my friend, actually, we became, uh, we eventually became pastors, but this other guy, his name was Sam, he didn't become a pastor, he became a lawyer. But anyway, he was literally the most spiritual guy on the, on the, on, on, not the planet, but on, on the campus. And uh, one day, we're walking, and he's like, hey, let's go pray. And me and Dan, who are the past, going to be future pastors, were like, Okay. Uh, and he, he's like, let's pray for three hours. I'm like, what the psycho? What's wrong with you, man? We're in college, right? So we went up, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is taking forever. Uh, but one day, uh, I was sitting with this guy, and I asked him, you know, have you, have you ever had any crazy, like, communication from God? Did God ever engage you in, like, some crazy way? And he, he shares with me. He goes, yes, I did. There was one time I was praying, and I just felt like he was there. And that was it. And I was just like, that's so stupid. Because <laughs> I had all these crazy, dramatic stories of God doing stuff in my life, and I realized, oh my God, even back then I realized, I have a feeling that he's probably doing this because I'm being an idiot, and he needs to get my attention by doing it this way. But whereas this guy who had a regular communication with God, he can just literally talk with him. Uh, Bob Mumford, he, he writes how he, he believes, and he writes how spectacular signs can be helpful to show us that we're on the right path. But then he says this. Next slide. He said, God wants to bring us beyond the point where we need signs to discern his guiding hand. Satan cannot counterfeit the peace of God or the love of God dwelling in us. When Christ's abiding presence becomes our guide, then guidance becomes an almost unconscious response to the gentle moving of his Holy Spirit within us. When you look at Jesus, the sense that you get from the Gospels is that this is how the Father primarily engaged with him. Now, some of you in here, you're like, but I want to be tackled by God, like Jacob. I need something like that. You realize that God tackled Jacob because he was being, I had a different I had a word right in here, which I don't think I should say. Let's just say that uh, he dug himself in the hole that he was in. And the outcome of God tackling him wasn't the most pleasant. Okay? You know, when Paul was knocked down on that road to Damascus by, by a blinding light and Jesus confronted him, that was not fun. Paul lost his vision temporarily. Look, here's what I'm trying to say. You're like, what is he talking about? What's Pastor Keith going on and on about? Okay? If it requires a dramatic intervention for you to hear God's message... That means you are not hearing him all the other times that he's been speaking and engaging you. 
See, God generally is not about overriding people's wills. If you read the Bible, he's not about forcing himself on you. He wants us to have a say and to participate in his will and in the conversation. You know, the Bible actually indicates that he is speaking with us and that he is always trying to reach out to us. But in our sin and stubbornness and hardness, we don't hear him or we, when we, or we do hear him and we reject him and we keep him at bay. And when you keep doing that, it gets harder and harder to hear him. Now, sometimes for a particular purpose, he'll do something dramatic to get our attention. But think about it. If he has to do that, if he has to resort to that, that means we have not been listening all the other times that he has been engaging us. When my wife yells at me, she doesn't yell at me right off the spot. She yells at me because she's been trying to talk to me for the past 10 minutes. See, wouldn't you rather be tuned into God so that you could hear him all the other times that he's engaging you rather than having him knocking you across the head that one time? Don't you want to hear him all the other times that he's been engaging you? Do you want God simply for the drama? Or do you want him for him? You know, I want him. I want to hear what he's saying all the time. Not just occasionally through those dramatic encounters. Well, believe it or not, there's a way to tune into God so you could, in fact, hear him. And see his engagements more clearly and more regularly. So I'm almost done. So right at this very moment, there's a, there's a ton of radio waves literally flying through us. All this radiation going through us, right? These waves and Wi-Fi and all that stuff, right? These waves are carrying all sorts of messages and, and, and music, but we can't perceive them. Why? Because we're not tuned in. Okay, if you have a radio and you're tuned in, you can hear the messages, right? Or if you have an HD antenna, you can see those messages on your TV. Brothers and sisters, God is engaging with you right now at this very moment. He is. God is around you like he was around Elisha. And if you're a Christian, God is in you. Okay, what we have to learn is we have to learn how to tune in. How to tune in. Now, how do we tune in? Well, let me just list... Some quick ways, just real fast. List some quick ways that can help us tune in. Well, I'm going to do a whole series of sermons on this uh, some other times. I just, but I just want to list some just to get, get you guys started. Uh, here's an example. Part of tuning in is learning to believe that what happened in the Bible can happen now, which I kind of talked about a little bit. Okay? And it involves, part of tuning in also involves reading the Bible and getting a better sense of how God operates. Getting a sense of his person and character. And brothers and sisters, don't start with Genesis. Okay, look, I love the Old Testament. I love it to death. Crazy stories in the Old Testament that I love, and there's so much wisdom in in them. But sometimes it's hard, right? Start with the Gospels. I give you permission as your pastor to start with the New Testament. Okay, get to know Jesus, the clearest communication and engagement of God with us. If you get Jesus in your heart and your mind, you will slowly begin to hear him better. Okay, and take your time. You know, I know you guys have those reading, those, I can read this five chapters, right? Stop it. Don't do those reading plans, okay? Just open the New Testament. If you get through two sentences, and that's all the time you have for that's fine. That's what I do sometimes. I'm like, oh, man, I don't have time today. I'll just go through, like, uh, you know, five sentences, and I'll just kind of, and sometimes even if I do have time, there's this one sentence that jumps out at me. I'm like, that's all I have space for today. 
Rob Bremer, he says this. Every time you pick up the Bible, you are one Holy Spirit breath away from, an encou- from a God encounter, from a life-giving interaction with the author of life. He is present in his word. He can reveal himself to you as, slow, uh, uh, reveal himself to you as you slowly and carefully read that inspired text with an expectation to catch the breath of the Spirit. Okay? Another part of tuning in, another way to tune in is, is learning to pray. And when, you, uh, and when you pray, don't just kind of go through a laundry list of things. I mean, you can do that, but give also some time to, to just sit there okay? and, and learn how to listen. Converse with him and give him that space to make impressions on your heart. Okay? And look, I know sometimes prayer is not, you're, you're like, oh man, it's kind of hard. You know, I, I, we're just reading a book in our discipleship uh, classes right now. Uh, sometimes people, we're made differently. So sometimes people uh, can f- get to a better place, say, when they're taking a walk in nature. Right? Or uh, when they're maybe reading a science book, like myself. Like, oh my God, I see God in this. Right? right? And then you can talk to God through those ways. Okay? There's different ways for different people. But, you know, praying according to your temperament, uh, can be helpful. Another way to tune in is to have people pray over you. I know you're reluctant to come to these people up here at the end of the service. You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that, right? Uh, have them pray over you. And what they pray over you can feed your faith. If God can speak to you and through these smelly brothers and sisters with bad breath, right, he can most certainly speak directly to you. And these brothers and sisters praying over you, they learn this from someone else. They can walk you through how to tune in. Just ask them. You can just ask me. Okay, you just need to buy me dinner, and then I'll help you. Okay? Another part is stepping out in faith. You know, oftentimes, what I, this is amazing. Not amazing, but it actually makes sense. Oftentimes when I see people step out and serve God, say on missions or local missions, or just kind of going out of the way to help their neighbors and things like that, automatically as you start doing that, you automatically get more tuned into what God is doing. You'll see more of how God is engaging you. I've seen this over and over and over. Another part is repenting. You know, sometimes people sin, Right, and You have unforgiveness, you have bad attitudes, pride. Those things can actually keep you from hearing God. Okay? So you just repent and say, God, you know, this, I'm not in a good place. And take those things away. Right? And repent of those things and you'll hear God more clearly. And another way to tune, and this is the last one, uh, is to get to the end of yourself. That's what's happening in Jacob's life in today's text. You'll find out more next week, but he's literally at the end of his ropes here. And often, what do we know? It's at the end of our ropes that we are the most open to God. You hear this in testimonies all the time. Now, obviously, that's not the preferred method, of course. Okay, And let me share uh, share with you that there's a shortcut and a much less painful route to get to the end of yourself. And that's through humility. Okay, If you look at the cross... And what Jesus did for you. If you look at how he's engaged you and involved and how he identifies with us so closely that he literally became one of us and suffered the cross, the penalty and death that we should have paid. If you look at how much he loves you, that he would do that. If you have a sober understanding of the grace that you have been shown and how weak you really are. And if you can foster a heart of gratitude for all that you see in God and in your life, you've actually come to the end of yourself. Because you know yourself soberly, you know your limits, you know where you end, and you know how much you need God. That will deepen your humility profoundly. And I believe humility will tune you in faster to God's voice than almost anything else. James writes in his letter, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the 
humble. I believe a big piece of that favor is the ability to hear God's voice. Okay, let's pray. Um, You know, I'm going to assume that everybody in here wants to hear more of God. Uh, I was going to ask you guys to raise your hands, but I'm just, I'm just going to assume that everybody in here wants to see and discern God's engagement in their lives. Okay? Why don't you take a couple minutes to pray for God to make that clear to us? Okay? Whatever is uh, hindering, maybe it's just inexperience. Maybe you just even, haven't even tried. Maybe you're just like, I, don't, I didn't believe that God can talk to me, even today. Wherever you are, whatever kind of assumptions you had or whatever things you think are blocking you, or maybe you're, you have, you're clueless and you're just like, God, I don't know what's up, but just help me to hear you. Help me to see your engagement in my life. Let's take a few minutes just to pray that and really ask in faith. Ask him, And even if you're, you're, your faith is shaky, still say, God, my faith is shaky, but I want to hear you. Because I know you're around me and I know you want to speak to me. Okay, so let's, if we can have the keyboard play, uh, if we can have uh, just a couple minutes, let's, let's talk to God. Okay, let's pray.